Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. So the children come down and have a word of prayer. Come on down, you guys. A word of prayer before you go to Children's Church this morning. Come on, T, get them down here. All right. It's good to have you guys with us today. All right. Basketball league's all over with. We're all finished with that. Well, there's a lot of you today. I better move out of the way here, huh? Hey, why don't you guys have a seat up here? Let's do that. Why don't you guys sit down up here? Let's, let's talk for just a minute here, okay? I'm over here, though, you guys. So, what did the song we just sang... Hey, you guys, I'm back here. <laughs> all right. You guys stay there. Sit down, Charlie. <laughs> how about if I go over here so I can see you? You guys want to see the audience. Okay, how about that? All right, so we just sang a song about a what? Yes. A pilot. If you were to ask one of your friends tomorrow, if you went up to them and said, what's a pilot? What do you think they would probably say? Evan? Somebody who flies a plane. we got some pilots here, right? We have a lot of pilots here. Somebody who flies a plane. I don't know if you ever thought about that. That, that song we just sang wasn't about a plane, right? It was about a what? And, and what was the illustration? Not a plane, but a... Yeah, and it was the temptation, good Ariana, and the temptation with the waves. Yes, in a boat, Right? You know what? In about a month from now, the new sports season is going to start. You know what it is? Actually, it started spring training already. All right, Max. Baseball. Okay? Baseball. We have a baseball team here in Seattle. What's it called? The Seattle Mariners. Y'all Mariner fans? Ooh, that's pretty weak. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, thank you, Max. All right. Good for you. You know what? The Mariners are a major league baseball team. But you know what? That's our second... Major League Baseball team. We had a baseball team before the Mariners, back when I was in high school, and they were called, does anybody know what they were called by any chance? No, they weren't. What? Who said that? You're right. The Seattle Pilots. That was the name of our baseball team. They only stayed for one year. Then they moved to Milwaukee. And now they're, the, yeah, boo, now they're the Milwaukee Brewers. That was our team, the Seattle Pilots. One year. Back when I was in youth group, our youth pastor was the chaplain of the Ray Euler fan club because Ray Euler couldn't bat 200, and we were trying to get him to bat 200, so we had a fan club. We went to the game and cheered him on. I don't think he ever batted 200. But you know what? When they were going to name the pilots, they had a contest. They had a contest, and whoever suggested the name that won the contest would get a two-week trip to spring training in Arizona, which is going on right now, right? Two weeks, all expense paid, hotel, games, the whole works. A friend of mine from church here, I found out later, good friend of mine, Mr. Don Nelson. Don went home to be with the Lord some years ago. His wife, Junie, is here, and his son, Chris, is with us. And he won that competition. He named the Seattle Pilots. And you know why? Because he knew whenever he's submitting their names, probably things like Seahawks, you know, and uh, 
totem poles and things like that. So he knew, he knew that the owner of the baseball team was a man who had a large boat and he loved to pilot his boat. So he chose the name Pilots and it won and he won that two-week trip. You know what he did? He went to the guy, the people that did the contest and says, look it, instead of two weeks, how about if you give me one week and I take my son with me and that makes two weeks of your expenses for the trip. And they said yes. So Don took Chris and they went down to spring training for a week and watched the new team, the Seattle Pilots. Now, you know what? This week, wherever you guys go, whatever you have, I don't know what your week holds for you, but whatever it is, we're just saying that Jesus will go with you and will pilot you and will take care of you and watch over you because you belong to him. You love him? You serve him and trust him this week to pilot you and watch over you, and you can share the love of Jesus Christ with everybody that you come in contact with, because I can't go where you go this week, and I can't talk to your friends, but you can, and share God's love with them. All right? Let's stand up. and be praying. Thank you, guys. It's nice to have you with us today. Come on, everybody up. We're going to pray, and you guys can go on your way to Children's Church and Children's Choir. Father, we thank you for each one of these lives. We just thank you for the joy they bring to our church. We thank you for the privilege of teaching them. And we thank you that they can teach others and that this week, Lord, you can use them as you pilot them and watch over and care for them and use them to share the good news of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Bless them now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, guys. Good to have you. Thanks for coming up. Okay, you can have that, Charlie. <clears throat> Anybody who finds a ladybug on the stage can keep it. <laughs> That's one of our rules at our church. You find a ladybug, you get to keep it. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Jesus, pilot me. Thank you guys for sharing that song. That was a, it's a great song. It's a great theme. And we want to talk about that this morning. How is it that Jesus became your pilot? How is it that Jesus became the one who pilots you throughout your life. We're going to consider that this morning as we continue our study from Hebrews. I'd like to actually open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. We're going to slow down a bit. We've been racing through Hebrews one chapter a week. That was a bit ambitious. On Sunday night, we come back and cover some of the things we aren't able to cover in the morning. Uh, but for the next weeks, we're going to slow down a bit. And we're going to take a couple of weeks in this chapter and when we come to chapter 11 on this great heroes of the faith, we're going to spend a little time in there before we finish up with chapters 12 and 13. But let's pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, uh, we ask your presence with us. Might your words be heard today. Might my words not get in the way, but might we listen to your words today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, we're going to, we're going to kind of wrap up this morning as we get toward uh, verse 19 and 20. And you'll notice there's a word, there. For, And the word therefore um, is, is a very important turning point and key in this story from the book of Hebrews. Because we're going to find out how to apply the things that we've learned and the things that we've been uh, studying together about the Lord Jesus Christ. This, this book to the Hebrew believers, it is the epistle to the Hebrews. They are Christians, especially people who put their faith in Christ of the, of the Hebrew nation, the Jews. 
And they understand this background of the high priesthood, the temple, the sacrifices, the importance of the angels, Moses, Abraham, all these things that we've been talking about. And it all kind of culminates and comes together today in sort of the apex of this account of who Jesus is and what he did. So let's look at the first section. Let's look at chapter 10, verse 1. The law, that is the Mosaic law, we've been talking about the sacrifice, the sacrificial system of that Mosaic law. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could would they have not stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. And this is an astounding verse, this next verse. This is an astounding verse for someone immersed in the Old Testament Scriptures. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible. I mean, that's an amazing statement. After all those centuries of offering blood sacrifices, that the author of this epistle would say, but those sacrifices could never take away sins. And that was exactly true. And yet these people were forgiven. We read in Psalms that, that, that as far as the east is from the west, our sins are taken away, our sins are forgiven. We read about, for example, the parents of, of John the Baptist. It says his parents were perfect and righteous in every way. How could it say that? Because they practiced the sacrificial system in faith. It was required. It was not an option. You could not be part of the Old Testament Jewish community and say, well, that's nice for everybody else, but I'm not going to participate in that. You were put outside the community. It was not an option. And yet we are told here that these sacrifices could never take away sins. You know, at the very beginning when it says the law is only a shadow, there are, in, in the Greek that the New Testament is written in, there's, there's a couple different words for shadow. Um, one word is a very distinct shadow, like an image type shadow. I'm looking at my shadow right now because of the spotlights up here, and it's, it's pretty, it's fairly distinct. There's also a word for kind of a pale shadow, a shadow that's very shadowy, we might say, that you might have a hard time making out. What is that a shadow of? It's just it's sort of a, you know, it's just there. And that's what the word here is. It's a, it was just a pale shadow. It was a shadow of the things that were to come, but it was not the realities. And you notice this emphasis in this in the first part here that I read to you in verse 1, this emphasis on in fact, the word endlessly is used there in the NIV. This idea of continually, 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 year in, year out, year in, year out, year in, year out, coming and offering the sacrifice for sin. And, and along with, as we'll see later in this passage, also the daily, the monthly, the weekly sacrifices that went on in the temple all the time. All the time. These sacrifices are being offered, these blood sacrifices, the grain sacrifices, the wine poured out sacrifices, constantly being brought. And he comes to this and the author says, but they could never take away sins. Those offerings could never take away 
sins. Now, if you were a Jewish believer in the first century, you would have to really stop and think about that. No one has ever said that before. Even though in the Old Testament, as Pastor Gary read to us last week, there are several places in the Old Testament where God says to Israel, especially in the prophets, God says, stop, stop bringing your sacrifices. The aroma from those sacrifices, it stinks. Quit bringing them. Instead, bring your heart. Bring righteous acts. Bring a faith and a love for me. Then bring the sacrifices and I will accept them. That is clearly in the Old Testament. But this statement here that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins would have been absolutely astounding to any Jewish person in the first century enmeshed in this culture. Why is that? Well, let's look at this. It's interesting, this next quote here. Verse 5, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, and you notice if you have a newer translation, it's sort of set off in, in poetic form. It's a direct quote from the Old Testament. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Now, the author of this, of this epistle quotes from the Old Testament. Incidentally, you know, on Sunday night, we're, we're kind of picking up on some things we don't have time to cover in detail on Sunday morning. If you were to look this passage up in the Old Testament, it, it, there's something that's kind of, would kind of strike you if, you if you pay attention. Because the second line here says, but a body you prepared for me. If you look it up in your Old Testament, which some of you are doing right now probably, from uh, Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 to 8, instead of a body you prepared for me, it says, but my ears have you pierced. Yeah, but my ears have you pierced. Okay? Okay, that's another topic. All right? <laughs> if you want to come back tonight, we'll talk about that. Why is it that, that it says, well, of course, this... No, the, the quick answer is it's from the Septuagint. It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And the author is quoting the Greek translation. But how did the Greek end up translating, but my ears you have pierced to a body you have prepared for me? We'll, we'll come back and talk about that tonight. The author here is making a point that this section from Psalm 40, which was written by David for the director of music. You know, you go back and look at those Psalms, you'll see the heading for the director of music. These psalms were sung, they were music, they were worship, they were hymns. For the director of music, David wrote this psalm, and he, and he talks about himself, but it also talks about the coming Messiah, clearly, as this author here of Hebrews uh, credits it to. And so he explains this. He says in verse 8, first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, you were not pleased with them. And I'll notice here, Although the law required them to be made. This is a, I mean, this is a sort of a conundrum here because he says the law required it. The Old Testament, Moses says, do not, you know, listen, he says, do not say in, do not say in your hearts, how can we do this? How can we keep this law? It's, it's impossible. Do not say it's too far in the heavens. It's too far away. He says, no, you can do this. You can keep this law. You can keep this law. If you perform the sacrifices, he never said you wouldn't sin. He never said you wouldn't disobey God. But he said, if you perform these sacrifices in faith, you can keep this law. 
That's why it says about John the Baptist's parents. Read it. It says they were holy and blameless. How could they be blameless? They were sinners. But they kept the Mosaic law in faith and in the right attitude. And they were, and they were considered blameless. You could do this. But he says right here, even though it says you have to do this, sacrifices and offerings you did not desire. What is going on here? Well, listen, first of all, the first point I want to make this morning, first point I want to make is this. It's very clear. What the Old Testament sacrificial system did is it covered the sins. The Hebrew word's kafar. That's why, and you look at your calendar, next September you'll see the Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur. Yom Day Kippur is kafar. It comes in English with the hard sound, hard F sound, kapar. Yom Kippur. Day of covering. Day of atonement. The mercy seat in the Holy of Holies where the high priest went. And the holy place in the Holy of Holies. The place where only the priest went to meet with God. To present, as Gary brought last week, that the idea of bringing the sacrifice and, and sprinkling the blood on the people. Sprinkling the blood on the temple. Cleansing everything. And then bringing the blood into the holy place. And placing it on in that cover, the, the cover, the, the, the mercy seat. And it's, it's the idea of a covering. The same word is used when, you, when, when Noah built the ark and he covered it with pitch. He covered it with pitch. The wood was still there. It didn't disappear, but it was now covered. It's the same word, kafar. The idea in the Old Testament is when they brought those Old Testament sacrifices, it covered their sins over when they brought it in faith. But they had to continually do it. Every year they had to bring the high priest, had to go into the Holy of Holies and the half of the people and cover the sins of the nation. He had to cover his own sin and his family's sin. Every year. Every day there were offerings made. Every week, every month, every feast day, there were offerings made to cover the sins of the people. And that's why he says in verse 11, day after day, notice this, day after day, Every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. This repetition, everlasting, every day, again and again. And he offers the same sacrifice. And here's a, here's a key phrase here. He offers a sacrifice which can never take away sins. Listen, this is very important. Because what he's saying here is, if this was enough, then Jesus would not have to die. We've sung this morning some beautiful songs reflecting on our, on our Savior and, and, and what he suffered on the cross. I hope, you, I hope you pay attention to the words that we sang this morning as we worship together. The suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was, for, it was our sins as was sung to us. It was, it was our sins. It was our, our crying in the crowd if we'd have been there that put him on the cross. It was my sin and your sin. And that's true. What they're saying is true. It's our sin, my sin, your sin, that nailed him to the cross. Every day the priests come and do their offerings. But those offerings could never take away sins. Because you see, there's a difference between covering sins over and removing them. 
and taking them away. That is why the priest had to come back, because the sins were still there. The minute the Day of Atonement was over, the minute it was over, and I told you back in 1985, we were at the Wailing Wall on Yom Kippur. We were there, and we were there until 6 o'clock when the day ends in the Hebrew calendar. And as the people gathered and gathered and came and came quietly and stood there and prayed, and the rabbis in the, you know, against the wall and putting prayers in the chinks of the Wailing Wall, and we stood there in that holy place for Israel. And then at 6 o'clock, the shofar horn, the ram's horn, whoo, you know, blew. And it was over. And everybody, I thought it would be kind of some kind of maybe celebration or something. Everybody just kind of quietly left as they quietly came. It was over. And we start the whole year over again collecting sins that have to be forgiven the following year on Yom Kippur. Every year. You see, there's a difference between covering over sins and removing sins. Verse 12. But when this priest, that is Jesus Christ he's talking about here, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. Notice what it says he what? Huh? He sat down. Look at the comparison. What what does the priest do every day? He what? He stands. There's a comparison here. Um, Rob Fowler asked me last Sunday, he asked a question that, um, that I couldn't answer off the top of my head. I could guess. And he said, were there, were there any chairs in that holy place? Was there any place for the priest to sit? I don't think so. As far as I can tell still, I don't think so. Uh, it would have been mentioned. Outside in the outer courts, I'm sure. There was a a layers of coming into the temple. But a priest didn't sit down in the holy place because, because he's not there to sit. He's there to stand and offer sacrifices, to leave, to come back, and to stand and to do it again. Year after year, family of priests, Aaron's family, priest after priest, they are to do that. Jesus offered a sacrifice one time and he sits down. He offered for all time one sacrifice for sins and he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool because by one sacrifice... Now listen, here's a, this is a very important phrase in Hebrews. This next phrase in the, in the book of Hebrews is, is, if you write in your Bible, you should underline this. If you don't, underline it in your head, okay? Or make a note or tell someone else to remember. Verse 14. Because by one sacrifice, he has, you need to pay attention to the language here, he has made perfect forever those who are being, I-N-G, being made holy. Do you see that? Now, let me just give you just a, just a slight, you know, I'm no Greek scholar. I know enough to be dangerous like most pastors, okay? But here, here it is. The word, the word made perfect there is in what we call the perfect tense. You know, languages have tenses of verb, right? Past, present, future, correct? And ing on the word generally means what? You know what technically what's called? It's a Participle, it's an ongoing verb. I'm running. I'm running 
I ran, I run, I will run. Those are tenses of the verb to run. The perfect tense in the Greek has this, this power. It is something that is done once for all, but the application and impact continues on. It continues on. If I said I ran, that's, that's not going to work that way. I'm running. That's, I'm presently running. But the Greek has a way of saying it happened there, but the effects continue on. Look what he says here. And this is the, and it just so happens the perfect tense is the word perfect here. It just so happens. He has, has made perfect forever. Forever. It's a powerful statement. Those who receive Christ's sacrifice for sin are made perfect. His sacrifice accomplished it, and the effects are continuing 2,000 years later and will until he returns. If you know Christ as Savior, you are one of those who have been made perfect. Do you feel perfect today? Don't have to raise your hand, okay? Honestly, do you feel perfect? I don't feel perfect. We are not feeling perfect. But the Bible says we have been made perfect. We have been made perfect forever. And then it goes on to say, we are being made holy. In the present tense, we are being made holy. So you see both aspects here? I am made perfect in Christ's sacrifice, and I am daily being made sanctified or holy. Because my walk is an ongoing walk, and my experience in this side of eternity is an ongoing experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. The sacrifices under the Mosaic Law were done year after year after year because they could never perfect any. If they could make someone perfect, you could stop making them. But it couldn't happen. But when Christ offered himself, and we're going to celebrate Good Friday. Kevin and I invite this to the Tenebrae service. We're going to celebrate on Good Friday when Jesus died on the cross and offered himself as our sacrifice. That he makes us perfect. And enables us to continually be sanctified and be made holy and sanctified in Him. You know, this is why I think the emphasis back in that passage from Psalm 40, where he, where he talks about, at the end in verse 7, with this quote from Psalm 40, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. Why is that there? You see, the sacrifices... That one-year-old, male, perfect, without blemish, lamb that was brought on Passover. You know, the, the Jewish neighbors are going to celebrate Passover also this spring. When that lamb was brought, you, you didn't bring the lamb that was going to die anyway, right? You didn't bring the crippled lamb that wasn't worth much to you in terms of monetary value. You brought the lamb that was the most expensive because that's why it's called a sacrifice. But that lamb didn't choose to come. Shepherd didn't go out into the field and the lambs go, pick me, pick me, to be the sacrifice. 
The lambs didn't choose to come. They were brought and they were slaughtered and sacrificed. But the Lord Jesus Christ picked me. I will go. Here I am. Choose me. I have come to do your will, O God. And that's the difference. He was sinless. He was obedient. He chose to come. He wasn't taken to the cross. He what? Went to the cross. He went to the cross to Calvary. Pick me. And he sat down at the right hand of God. And because of that, whether you feel like it or not, you have been made perfect. And you are being made holy because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the next section there about the the new covenant, we're going to talk about that tonight. That next quote from the Old Testament. So we'll come back to that. But then look at verse 18. Where these sins have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. So let's, Clifford, let's, let's consider the, the contrast between the law and Jesus Christ. Let's consider these for just a moment. I just I put a few, and you can think of maybe some more. First of all, the priest stood. Jesus sits and never has to stand again to offer sacrifice. Never has to stand again to offer sacrifice. Secondly, the priests offered daily, not just yearly, but daily. Jesus' sacrifice is once, once for all. Third, the lambs, the oxen, the goats, the crops, the new wine were all brought. They didn't volunteer to come. Jesus came by his own volition and chose. Listen, friends, Jesus chose. He didn't love you because he had to. He didn't love me because it was in the program. It had to be accomplished. He loved me and he loves you. Why? Because he chose to love you. Chose to love you. He came. And then finally, in the Old Testament, sin was covered over. But with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, as it says right here, and this is so, so important, sins are taken away. They are removed. They are removed. They are not just covered. They are removed forever. That is why the Bible right here says that you are perfect in Jesus Christ. You're perfect because your sins have been taken away and removed. Now, in conclusion, look at the next word in verse 19. Therefore, Therefore, and you know the old thing, what is this there for? Therefore, we're going to have some applications here of this. And we're going to just touch on one this morning, and we're going to stop and come back and consider more of the therefores. But this is a turning point in this book. We are pretty well done explaining why the sacrifice of Jesus could accomplish this and why the Old Testament sacrifices couldn't. This would have been so astounding, unbelievably astounding to any first century Jew who was serious about the Word of God. Therefore, 
Brothers, brothers and sisters, everyone, look what he says. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, only one person could go in the holy place. Who was it? The high priest. But we, believers in Jesus Christ, these Jewish believers, they now have the privilege of what only the high priest had in the Old Testament. We don't go via a priest. Believers in Jesus Christ, by the blood of Jesus, enter the very presence of God. In fact, the very presence of God enters us in the person of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ. What only the high priest had, Christians now have. How? By a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, and I want to stop there for a minute. This is really interesting. That word new is really it's the word fresh. Believe it or not, the, the origin of that word in the Greek language was a fresh sacrifice. A brand new lamb that was freshly sacrificed. That's actually the origin of this word that sort of morphed over the time to really just say new. Fresh. By a fresh and living way, God has opened up for us forgiveness for sins, holiness and sanctification through His blood and the curtain that was torn top to bottom that that represented His body. And then finally, verse 21, Since we have a high, great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. And we're going to stop there today. I think that's enough to think about. I think that's enough to think about today, friends. This amazing truth that you can draw near to God. That you can draw near to God in a fresh and new way. No matter how you feel today. I appreciated earlier when when they were praying, when Ted prayed about some have come today with expectations and some with no expectations. You know, I don't know where, where your, your, your heart is today, what, what, what's going on in your life. I, I do know some, you know, we talk as pastor and flock of the sheep, we talk and share, and I know, but I don't know where all your hearts are today. But I do know this. I do know this. That we come And we are invited to draw near to God every day. Think of that. He says here that this this is a pattern. This is only a pattern. This is only a a shadow of of heaven where there's a holy place. And and we are invited to draw near to God. These children that were up here, your dear children, my grandchildren, my grandson who found a ladybug up here. (laughs) Only Charlie would find a ladybug up here on the platform. These, these, these children, if they know Christ as Savior, children, children are invited to draw near to God. And Jesus said, let them come. Don't you dare keep them back. You let them come. 
You let them come. Because if you don't come as a child, you won't come. Whatever is in your life today, friends, whatever new, whatever experiences, challenges, you can draw near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ and know that He cares for you and loves you. If you're here today and you have never received Christ's payment for your sins, it's called gospel, which means good news. It's good news. The good news is you don't have to do anything. You can't do anything to earn God's love. God's already chosen to love you. He's chosen to love you. He chose His Son, Jesus Christ, who is God Himself as well, chose to go to the cross of Calvary because He loves you that much and to die for you so that you can be not just cleansed from sin, but your sins can be taken away. And you are made perfect. Is that a dangerous doctrine? Yes, it's a dangerous doctrine. Yes, you can take advantage of it, but it's the truth. Let us draw near to God. I ask you today, is there a reason why you wouldn't accept God's love and God's salvation? Why wouldn't you? As children have. I know most of these children, they have. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? We're going to close our service today with a wonderful song, if it's what I think it is. Yes, it is. I heard you guys practicing it. Come on up. It's um, one of my favorite songs. It's uh, one of those songs that if our brother Wilson Fossey was here, the handkerchief would be out. It's a great song. Let's draw near to God as we sing this song. Let's just not just sing it. Let's draw near to God because this song is so true. Thank you, guys. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I love that story Don told me. Instead of two weeks vacation, how about if I, can I just have one so I can bring my son with me? Because he loved his son. Aren't you glad that God is your heavenly father today? And because of that, it is well with our soul. Heavenly Father, what a privilege to address you as Heavenly Father. You are the God of the universe. You are the awesome and majestic God, the holy God, the God who will judge and bring justice, the God who loves and has compassion extending to hundreds of generations. You are our God. We don't deserve it, but we accept it in faith today. We leave here. We are your family. We are the church, the body of Christ. As we leave this place, Lord, we are going to be the visible representation of our Savior whom we've sung about this morning, Jesus Christ. We are going to represent him in our neighborhoods, in the workplace, schools, families, this week. By the power of the Holy Spirit, might we show Jesus Christ this week.
In his name we've gathered today as a thankful people. Amen.